0: And last week we, we looked at 1 John 4, verses 7-12, through 12, and John repeated once again that if we've experienced the love of God in our lives, then we should love one another. And we ended with verse 12, and it will be verse 12 that we will begin with this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 12-21. through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you you can use. But I strongly encourage you to bring a Bible with you if you have one every Sunday. If you don't have one, talk to me and we can, uh, we can make sure you get one. Because like Alex said, this is God's Word to us and we want to know it. We want to know Him. And that's one of the primary ways we do that. And so look with me at 1 John 4, verse 12. This is what John writes. He says, No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. And so one of the reasons John is writing this this letter to his readers is to give them assurance of their relationship with God. And verse 12 tells us that if if we see ourselves loving one another, then that could be an indicator that in fact God doesn't abide in us, and we abide in Him. And that God's love is actually being perfected in us. And so, in the following verses, verses 13 through 21, John is going to unpack what he means by abiding and perfecting. What does it mean to abide in God and God in us? And what does it mean to be perfected in God's love? And so, first let's look at how God abides in us and how we abide in God. John writes in verses 13 through 16... abides in God, and God abides in him. So John says there is a way for God to both abide in us and for us to abide in God. Now, now what does it mean to abide? Now, John uses this word here, this word abide, and it, it means to uh, dwell or to remain with or, like you said, to abide. And if you can think about it like this, think about if you were to go to someone's house You know, what would be the first thing you do? Well, you'd walk up to the door, and then you'd knock on the door, right? You wouldn't just barge right in. You would knock on the door because you realize that to come in to the house, you must be invited in. And so you knock, they open the door, and they invite you in. Well, the first step to abiding, we must... I guess what I'd say is the first step for us to, in order for us to abide in someone or with someone or in some place is first we have to be invited into that place. And this is what John says in this this book. He says that the way that we are invited in to abide with God is, is that He has Himself invited us in. John tells us that the way we are invited into God's house is that Not only does He love us, but He demonstrates His love towards us and that He sends His Son for us to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be invited in. And then He sends His Holy Spirit to extend that invitation to us all so that we would see our need for Christ and respond to the invitation. And we see that in verses 13-15 through when John says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because he has given us his spirit. And we see we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we see here that God is the one who does the inviting. You know, God's the one who invites us into a relationship with him. He's the one who invites us into his family, He's the one who invites us into his kingdom. And he's the one who invites us into his house, so to speak. You know, and oftentimes, you know, we talk about how we invited Christ into our lives. But perhaps we should talk about how Christ invited us into his life. Because he's the one, he's the one that is doing the inviting. And so we simply respond with a, a faith-filled yes to that invitation. And then we come in to God's house and to His family, and so it's it's only through and we see this in what John is saying here. It's only through confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's only through Christ that we are able to be brought in and dwell and remain and abide with God. Now, I want you to think back to our illustration uh, when you you know, approach someone's house, you knocked on the door, they invited you in. Now, let's talk about the effect of the abiding here. Like John talks about how when we abide in God, God abides in us, then that, that does something to us. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever read about a family, or maybe you've known a family, and you thought to yourself, I would love to have spent some time, some extended time with that family. They were just so unique, or there was just something about them, or maybe it wasn't a family, maybe it was just a group of people, you thought, it, wouldn't it be great just to spend some time with that family or with that group of people? You know, last summer, I read uh, Eric Metaxas's book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And as I was reading about the Bonhoeffer family, I felt like I was reading something out of a fairy tale. Not because it was make-believe, but, but because it was, it was so different than, than what I've experienced or what I've known myself. And so as I read about this family in Germany, it was just fascinating. As I learned about the different characters, how they interacted with one another, what the children were exposed to, and the different opportunities they had, it was just fascinating. And I thought to myself, you know, wouldn't it be great to have spent time with that family? Not just visited, but to actually spend time, extended time with that family. And maybe you've thought that as well. Maybe you've known people, or you've known a group of people, or even maybe one person if you thought, I would love to just have sat down with them for several meals or just spent a lot of time with them. And I think the reason we have that desire is because we see something in them that we want or that really attracts us. Maybe it's um, a relationship they have with one another or the intellect they have or a skill they have. But there's something that draws us in and that we want to be a part of. it. We want to taste what they have experienced. And we all know that if we spend enough time with people like that, then some of that will rub off. The more time we spend with others, the more we are changed. Right? The more time you spend with people, the more you are changed by them. And we know that, whether positively or negatively. And we've all been warned about the company we keep, right? You tell your children. Be careful who you hang around because there are bad influences. And there's also you know, there are good influences. And we know that there's, there's power in community to actually help you define who you are and, and actually enable you to do certain things that normally you wouldn't be able to do. And this is, this is true even in the most extreme circumstances. For example, you know, back in 1973, in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, a group of robbers robbed this bank in Stockholm. And they took a number of these bank employees hostage. And they held them for six, six days. But what's interesting is during that time, during those six days, some of the hostages uh, actually became sympathetic to the robbers. You know, sympathetic to those who were holding them hostage and meant them harm. They became sympathetic to, to such a degree that when the whole ordeal was over, some of these hostages actually defended the robbers and their behavior and after this was all over uh, there was a term coined to describe this phenomenon, it's called the Stockholm syndrome and it's actually true on the flip side as well, there's another syndrome that's been coined, it's called the Lima syndrome and it's when uh, robbers or criminals take over some place and take hostages And then they become sympathetic with the hostages and let them go. It's just an interesting dynamic when you get a group of people together, the effect that has on one another. And so even in extreme examples and even in very simple examples, we see the effect that others have on us. There's a power with community. There's a power with dwelling with certain people or abiding with certain people or remaining with certain people for a period of time, it begins to affect who we are and even what we're capable of doing ourselves. And so in psychology, you have these different syndromes, but I think even in what John is saying here, he's saying the point is, when you abide with someone and you spend time with someone, extended amounts of time with someone, there's change that takes place, whether positively or negatively. And John is saying, If we abide in God, and God abides in us, then change takes place. And it's a positive change. And this is what happens when we enter into that relationship with God, when we accept that invitation to be brought in to a relationship with God. So the question is, well, how do we we abide in God? We know that we're brought into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, so how do we abide? How do we dwell? How do we remain in Him? Well, I think, we, I think we abide in God just like we abide with other people. We converse with Him, just like Alex talked about. You know, God has made Himself known through the Scripture, so we read the Scripture. We converse with Him as we read the Scripture. We, we converse with Him in prayer. We spend time with His people, the church, and all these different ways we we abide in God and God abides in us we believe that he abides within us through his holy Spirit so in other words God gives us all that we need to be changed by him to be the people he wants us to be and so the question we got to ask ourselves is you know what what are you abiding in this morning you know where do you what do you spend your time and your resources you know what What consumes your thoughts? These are all indicators of what you're abiding in. And the point is wherever you abide, or whoever you abide with, will change you. And if we abide in God, there will be a change. And John describes this change in verses 17 through 21. And this is what he writes. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John tells us that if God and his love abides in us, there will be a change. And specifically he tells us that if God's love abides enough abides in us two things will happen first it'll cast out fear and secondly it'll cast out hate so as God's love abides in us it'll cast out fear and it'll cast out hate so let's look at the first one here how God's love casts out fear you know and some of us live in fear even though we may have accepted Jesus Christ by faith we still have this lingering fear that when we face God on the judgment day, that, that we're not going to get into heaven, that we're still not good enough. We have that idea. And I know that to be true because out of the multitudes of people I've talked to and asked the question, how sure are you that you're going to heaven? The most popular answer is less than 100%. Because why? Because I don't know if I'm good enough. And so there's this idea, there's this fear that lingers even in the heart of the believer at times because we still think that, yes, I get in to God's family, I'm invited in through Christ, but I need to still perform or I'm going to be rejected. And so there's this fear that kind of looms over us. And John is saying, well, actually, perfect love casts out fear. And if God's love abides in you, fear is is diminished, is cast out. And this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you know someone loves you, the more you know they love you, the less fear, fearful you will be that they'll reject you. you know, the purer their love for you, it, it just diminishes fear of being rejected. And so John's saying, if you know Christ, then you've experienced God's love for you And when you face God on the day of judgment, you don't have to fear being rejected. Because if you're in Christ, you will be accepted. So if you are in Christ, if God is abiding in you, then it should cast out fear. And this should be true of the Christian. We should not live lives of fear, but we should live lives of love. So we see this confidence that wells up in the life of the Christian because of what Christ has done, not simply because of what we've done. And we see all throughout this letter, it's just full of assurance for the person who has faith in Christ. I mean, this letter is just littered with assurances for you if you know Christ. Now let's look at how God's love casts out hate. In verse 18, John says, fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so he's saying, if you do fear facing God in judgment, then you have not been perfected in love. So, so now what does that mean? You know, when I, when I hear that perfected in love, that word perfected, that word perfect, what comes to my mind is flawless. You know, no blemish, no sin, perfection. But that's not necessarily what John's getting at here because the word he uses here for perfect or perfected is a word that means uh, to bring to completion. You know, to reach a goal. To make perfect. And so it communicates this idea of completion. So look back with me at verse 12. And I go up a few verses. He says, If we love one another, God's love abides in us And his love is perfected in us. So so what does it mean for God's love to be perfected in us? He's telling us if, if God abides in us, if we are in Christ, then we should be growing in our capacity and ability to love one another. That's what he's saying. That's what it means to be perfected in love. That love is growing in us towards a goal of completion. There is an increased ability and willingness and capacity for us to love one another. And since God is love. And he has demonstrated his love for us. And through his son. Through giving of His the spirit. Then if we abide in him. Then it makes sense that we should also be loving. Not only God. But loving each other. You know there's a well known. Uh, philosophical and theological question. That we've all dealt with. Maybe that it's kept you up at night. You know you've struggled over it. The question is. You know. Which came first the chicken or the egg. You've thought long and hard about this. You've stayed up late at night, you know, sweating, sweating over the answer. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, And I'm not real sure. If I had to throw my lot in there and just say an answer, I would guess the chicken, the chicken came first. But the point is that I want to make here is that the challenge with that question is we know that chickens are born out of eggs and, and and, you know, eggs are laid by chickens. And so we're thinking, okay, There had to be a beginning somewhere, and so which came first, and so we're just troubled by this, you know. Like I said, it may keep you up at night, I don't know. But the point is, one comes from the other. We see that correlation, one comes from the other. And Jesus used another another illustration in John 15, he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. In other words, one comes from the other. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the vines without, or you can't have the branches without the vine they, they grow out of the vine. The branches grow out of the, the vine. And so the idea is one comes from the other. And unlike the chicken and the egg issue, we know that God is the one who came first. <laughs> he's the one from all eternity. So He's the source. And so John is saying, well, since He's the first one, He came first, so if we attach ourselves to Him, if we are in Him, then what flows from us is whatever's in Him. And so if God is love... Guess what? When you're connected to Him, what's going to flow out? Love. And if it doesn't, guess what? You're not connected to Him. And so John is saying if we love each other, that's an indicator that we're connected to the source. If we don't love each other, you're not connected to the source. And John reminds us of this in verse 19. He says, We love. Because He first loved us. That's how we love. The only way to love like God loves is to be connected to God. To abide in God and God abiding in you. And so as God's love abides in us, it casts out fear. We have confidence of God accepting us in Christ. And it casts out hate. Look at verses 20 and 21. John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So if God abides in us, he is going to produce fruit. And this fruit is going to be characterized by love. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Let's say you were born with, without the use of your right arm. You had a right arm, but you couldn't use it. You couldn't feel anything with it. There was no, You had no mobility, no use out of your right arm. And let's say a doctor came to you and said, there's this experimental procedure that I'd like, you, I'd like for you to consider. And if you undergo this procedure, there's a, there's a good chance that you will regain use of your right arm. And you think, well, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And so you, go, you undergo this extensive procedure. And as you wake up in your hospital bed, you realize that you do have a, somewhat of a sense of feeling in your right arm. It's not, it's not the same as your left arm yet, but it's, it's there. There's a, there's a sense of feeling there. And you begin to even be able, be able to twitch a finger or two. And the doctor walks in and he looks at you and he sees you staring at your right arm. Kind of puzzled. And he says, well, what's, what's the matter? And you say, well, you know, I, I do have some sen- sensation in my right arm. I could even twitch a finger or two, but I thought you said I would have use of my right arm. And the doctor says, well, the procedure was successful. However, it's going to take some time and some physical therapy for you to have that use of your right arm perfected or Completed. But the procedure was a success. And you are on your road to having full use of that right arm. And so what John is saying is, if you are in Christ, you the, the procedure has, is, a, is a success. You've been given all you need now to love like God loves. However, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some... You're not going to you know, come to Christ and automatically be just like Jesus. However, you, you will begin that path, that journey towards Christ's likeness And through some exercise, you will be loving more and more like God loves. Now, on this side of heaven, we're not going to love Perfectly. However, if we are in Christ, we will be perfected in love. God is going to complete what He starts in us. And so the question I want to ask is, are you you abiding in God? What are you abiding in? Are Are you spending time in His Word? Are you conversing with Him in prayer? This is how we exercise the muscle of love. We spend time with Him. We abide in Him. And do you love those around you? Do you notice that there is a growing capacity in your life for love? I want to encourage you, if you're in Christ, that God is not finished with you yet. You may think, Ron, yeah, I, I find myself loving, and the next minute, I find myself hating. <laughs> But take comfort. God is not done. You will gain full use of that right arm of love eventually, but it's a process. And right now you may just be feeling just a slight tingle of love. You know, maybe just a twitch. But that's a good sign of life. It's better than deadness, isn't it? And God is going to complete what He starts. If you're not a Christian, And what I want to do this morning is I want to extend the invitation on God's behalf that you come into His house, that you come into His family through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, our trust is fully in You, knowing that only in You, the source of all love, the source of all truth, the only way for us to be like You, to love like You do, is to be connected to You. And God, I pray that each person here would be connected to you. That we would abide in you through your word, through prayer, being with your people, trusting you. And Lord, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would be increasing our capacity and ability to love you and love one another. And I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, God, that you would make your invitation to them known through the power of your Holy Spirit. And they would, by faith, accept it and come into your family. And we trust you for this. In Jesus' name, Amen.